And it's appropriate that we are where we are today because we're finishing John chapter 6 as we head into Easter. And we have Jesus at the most, in an earthly sense, like the most popular moment of his ministry. The, we, it, chapter 6 includes the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which is recorded in every gospel. We see Jesus walking on water. We see people who want to be with him, who love that he's giving them a meal. He's excited about or they're excited about him being there, and maybe they could get some more food out of him. He's teaching in a synagogue, and he's explaining that you eat his flesh, and you drink his blood, and it's a little confusing. And it goes to show, as you heard today and what was being read, that people start to just leave. Now, I have to be honest with you in, in these moments. Is as a, In pastoral ministry... And I think, if my math is right, I'll, I'll, this year will be coming up on 13 years of that. Um, maybe 12, but I think 13. Uh, so I find myself in tension often. Let me explain. I, I always want a full church. Now you can just shrink it so it feels fuller, which would be nice, right? Just put, bring the walls in three feet. Right, and now now it's going to feel fuller, even if it's the same amount of people. So that's a little mind hack you can use. Uh, but I want a full church of joyful people. I always want that joyful, Christ exalting people coming to faith, people bringing their friends to the service, people living not for themselves but for the good of others. I want that. I pray for that. Um, I, I want us to get outside of just living to get through the week and to live with full and joyful hearts. And then Sunday comes around and we realize what happened to the previous six days. Like, what did we do? Our day was so full. Things were so full. And, and very often, and you know, I throw no stones, I can do the same thing. Very often, we spend a good chunk of our week just, just making ends meet and living for ourselves. And we show up here, and we've not really considered the Lord much, and we've not really engaged with the, the church family much, and, and we really are counting on this moment to give us everything we need to get through the rest of the week. And I have bad news, which is unfortunate. It can't do that for you. It can't do that for you. So I, I want this church of, of joyful, Christ-exalting people where it really is just a blast to be together. I know that's not often where we are, and at the same time, I'm not the one in control of it, which makes it hard, because the thing I want, I can't create. I can pray to that end, and I can labor to that end. I can invest in people and pray for them and spend time with them, and we can offer opportunities to get together. If you were at any of the things that went on over the, over the weekend, it was awesome, Awesome to see the church family uh, engaging people and teaching and eating. They were like, I don't know, we had 50 or 60 people in here yesterday uh, eating Willie's brisket, amongst other things. Amongst other, many other more important things. But I got a bite before I left, and it was good. Yeah, it was good. We talk, we like food. This is Texas. And I feel myself sometimes in, in these two ditches. And anybody can fall into these ditches. You don't have to be a professional Christian to fall into these ditches. But it helps. And ditch number, ditch number one is kind of just going, oh, God's going to do what God's going to do. 
like just the high fatalistic, I have no responsibility here. If people show up, they show up. And if they, if they want to keep coming, they keep coming. And that's great. Because that kind of says, you know, the sermons can stink. Our concern for you can be small. Our love for you can be small. But if God really wanted you here, he'd have you here. I'm like, well, there are responsibilities on the church. And there are ways we are to operate. And we're supposed to do things for the glory of God. So I can't fall into the super fatalistic ditch. Because I understand that there are things as a disciple that, that in, in a sense, the Lord expects of me. There's ways to live and walk by his grace. And on the other side is to think that, that if I do a certain number of things, and I do them in the right order and in the right way, this place will be full. Right? So, so usually we go, well, God does what he wants when things aren't going the way that we want. And when things are going the way that we want, we kind of go, oh, it's probably because I did some stuff. Which is always how it goes. Right? Like we, so we like to take credit when God's moving, and we like to blame God when he's not. However, I think John 6 is the appropriate counterbalance to all those funky ways of feeling. It gives us a perspective that is the right perspective, specifically as it pertains to salvation. Specifically as it pertains to salvation. Because what we see are people who are leaving Jesus. <clears throat> and any, <clears throat> any church growth expert, I don't even know if that's, that's like a, <clears throat> I don't know if that's a real thing anymore. One time I was called a thought, a thought leader. Yeah, it was funny. I was copying an email. I go, I'm copying some of the other thought leaders on this idea. All right, man. <clears throat> I'll just say, no one's called me a thought leader since. <laughs> but... You know, you are what other people view you as, so I'll take it. Yeah, thought leader, definitely a thought leader on senior pastor succession. There are many other things to be better, uh, better than a, thought leader, a better thought leader on. But what we've seen throughout John 6, and we've used this, this kind of back and forth on purpose, where you're seeing the way the crowds are responding, and you're seeing the way the disciples are responding, and you're seeing the way that Jesus is responding, kind of crowds, disciples, Jesus. We've used that over the past couple of weeks to explain how people are perceiving what's going on. And, and today the crowds are going to be called disciples, and the disciples are going to be called the twelve. So the language shifts because the disciples in that instance are just being called followers, people who are interested in following Jesus, like anybody might have a, a disciple, a follower. And then Jesus speaks of the 12. So we're going to see, again, the, the same kind of thing. We're going to see a crowd response, but the crowds are now the disciples, and the disciples' response, but the disciples are now called the 12. And, and really, they're moving in opposite directions. The, the crowd is leaving, and the disciples are staying. And they're staying even as their understanding of Jesus is foggy, but the fog is lifting. Okay? So we'll see that. And what we get is the ability in this passage to go, okay, there are things totally outside of my control. And when my mind and heart are in the right place for the Lord, I can be okay with it. There are things God's doing that I can't control, and, and when I'm in my right mind, I can be okay with it. 
which is hard to do because we're often workaholics and we think most things depend upon us. But even as Jesus, the creator of the world, has people piecing out on him, he kind of says, you can go on walking because you'd come if the Father were drawing you. That's, that's what we see today. We're going to do some summary work, so it would be helpful if you had your Bibles. I don't have the extra verses on the screen today. Uh, so if you're in John 6, or you can get to John 6, we're going to just highlight a few of the things that we see. Because remember, as the passage began, people are walking away from Jesus. They're, they're starting to say, this is a difficult saying. We don't know what's going on. And we see in verse 66, many disciples leaving. We just finished the Bread of Life discourse. And so we'll start with the crowds who are now called the disciples. And they're leaving Jesus because of what he says. And it really isn't just what he says, but the implication of what he says. It's both of those things. He's saying something, but Jesus doesn't just say something. What he says has a way of living that hangs upon it. And so, so that's why like, when we read the Bible, we, we, we pray and we seek that this changes us because understanding the scripture should change how we live, should change how we reflect our creator. And so they're hearing what Jesus is saying and they're having a hard time with this teaching, but the teaching meant something and they're having a hard time with that too. So they're leaving him because of what he's saying. So let's look at what he's saying you can summarize this in different ways, but I'm going to give you a few of the things that Jesus has said in this discourse that can be difficult, okay? And we're going to go back early on to verse 15 first, because in verse 15 we see this, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This was after he fed the 5,000. And remember, there's this messianic expectation. And they're really excited this guy's feeding. And they, want, and they want to set him up as their earthly king. And so he leaves. So he leaves. And here's one reason they could have some antagonism toward Jesus. It's because he isn't interested in earthly comforts. He's rebuking them even in how he's acting, how, he, how they're acting toward him. He doesn't want to be their king. Not only that, but he rebukes the crowd for being interested only because of the bread. He says this in verses 26 and 27. You, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs. Remember the sign, you see through the sign to see the Savior. Not because you saw, really perceived the sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So there's this idea that Jesus is saying to the crowds, which is, your ways don't work here. The way you want to treat me, your expectation of what a king is, the reason that you even want to follow me is because you ate. Not because you saw me as the Messiah. Which can be, I mean, have you ever been in a situation where somebody's just not getting it? Maybe that somebody's you. And you keep coming at them like the same reasoning. And you're like, you don't understand what's going on here. It can be a little offensive. To have somebody keep telling you you're missing it. You're like, I don't think I'm missing it, man. I think I'm totally seeing it. So often there's a conversation that you have with your kids. Why can't we do X, Y, and Z? Well, we can't do X, Y, and Z because of A, B, and C. Like, I don't like your reasons. Like, I don't care. Like, that's, 
Those are still the reasons. And they're better than yours because they're true. Jesus gives a rebuke even in how he responds to their desire to make him king. Even, in, even as they are looking for him. Now there is a little bit of, of, of pastor uh, temptation here. We could say this. Where you never want a crowd to leave. You don't want a group of people to leave because we have this false view that, that if they're showing up, it must be good. And Jesus has this way of seeing people and going, how can I get fewer of them here? How can, how can fewer of them come along? Which again, goes against everything that you would expect because like, oh man, think of all the people here. Think about the amount of ministry that could be done if we had 5,000 10,000 versus the lame-o 12. But he sees them and he just says, he says things to them that will cause them to go, I don't, I'm not a fan of this. So he's not for their view of the world. I can put it that way. But the second reason, similar to the first, but is this, is that he says you must believe in him to have eternal life. He, he says to them, this is how you have eternal life. Which again, goes against everything that they might have thought or believed. First he says this, the father must draw them, verses 42 through 44. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered, don't grumble among your, amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's a difficult saying. Like, the reason you're not coming is because the Father's not drawing you right now. And he's totally okay with that. Like, he doesn't feel bad about it. He doesn't go meet with the bookkeeper afterward, who's Judas anyways, and say, hey, like, how much money are we losing because we lost the crowds? Are we, are we going to be able to make it through the end of the week or the month? He's a year out from dying at this point. Like, are we able to be able to get there? Um, so, yeah, it's a, little, it's a little different than the way that we operate. So the Father must draw them. They must believe, verse 47 and 48. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. This, this again, cuts, the whole message of Jesus cuts against how we want to operate in this world. A world that loves strength and stability and security. But the way of Christ is weakness. A world that loves to present ourselves as if we have it all together. And the way of Jesus is to recognize your limitations and your sin. So to say to a group, this is how this works... You don't come unless the Father draws you. You have to believe in me. I'm the bread of life. You are not sufficient in yourself. That I think many people can, can recognize, at least in an earthly sense. I, I have limitations. I can't do everything. I'm not perfect. But it's not just that. It's the fact that you're not sufficient in yourself, and we can't fix the problem unless the Father draws you. 
And he'll, he's almost, you can even hear in how he's talking to the crowds. And the fact that you're asking me the questions that you're asking and believing the things that you're believing demonstrate that the Father's not drawing you. Ouch. Come on, Jesus. Like, why do you put it like that? Why do you say it like that? Because it's true. So thing number one, why the crowds are leaving, he's rejecting their way of operating. Not going to be your king. You only want me because your bellies are full. But he also says the father must draw you. You must believe. And so that's a way of operating in this world. But now it's a way of operating in regard to how we understand God. That's an, thing number one is an offense. Thing number two is an offense. But then thing number three becomes the bigger offense. Because as we see in verses <clears throat> 61 through 65, today's passage, we recognize that the biggest offense is the necessary death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. As he has been talking about his body and his blood, he is beginning to to give metaphor for his death. Eating my flesh, drinking my blood, he's giving metaphor for what is to come. He's giving language about his crucifixion at this point in time, but he's about to talk about his ascending. So listen to this from today's passage. The disciples, that would be the crowd, they say this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Jesus, knowing that they're grumbling because he's ever perceptive, says, do you take offense at this? Which is funny, does this bother you? Because if this bothers you, just you wait. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Which is something they will not accept of him. Because they go, this is the carpenter's son. He's not from heaven. He goes, if that bothers you, wait until you see me rise and ascend. Wait for that moment. If this offends you, that will offend you more. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Remember, John has this idea of the Spirit. The Spirit's active in the Gospel of John throughout. He is moving throughout, and Jesus is associating what he says with the work of God's Spirit because Father, Son, and Spirit work together in redemption. One's not over here. One member not over here doing something else, but one's over here going, hey, can we get together and compare notes, be sure we're on the same page? They're always on the same page because one God, three persons. And so the words I speak to you are Spirit and life. If you're offended that you have to take on my sacrifice, believe in my sacrifice, eat my flesh, drink my blood, wait until I ascend. Wait until I resurrect. Remember in the book of Acts that the resurrection was the offense. They're mad that Paul's going around, the apostles are going around proclaiming that Jesus rose. That's the offense. Jesus dying is is a necessary, I say, a necessary part, but it doesn't end there. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, all of that are necessary parts of our salvation. And with every statement, it's like Jesus is ratcheting up the heat of their misunderstanding. But, The Apostle Paul, who came to faith after Jesus' ascension, after he was killing Christians, the Lord showed up in his life. 
and Paul believed, he was, he was totally okay with even this kind of teaching. He would, in fact, say it himself. So he just took a page out of Jesus' book and said, if that's Jesus' playbook for what God's doing, I'm okay. Listen to how he says this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says this, for the word of the cross, that would be the message of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, the word, of, the word of the gospel message, the word of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does that mean? That uncomfortably means that if you're here today and you think this Christian thing is a joke, it's because you don't understand it. But not only that, if you're here today and you think it's true, it's because God has revealed it. Now, again, we've said this before, that sounds a little circular, Hans. That sounds like, like that, that doesn't really sound fair. Well, how are you on the team? You're on the team if you're put on the team. And how do you know if you're put on the team? Well, because you get on it. And how are you, if you're not on the team, then you're not supposed to be on the team. And I'm like, like, that doesn't sound, that doesn't make sense. But here's where we get to rest in just the fact that God is at work. Man sees here, and we live here in our day-to-day interactions. That's it. We think so little of what God does. We think so little of God himself. I could not think enough good thoughts or enough happy thoughts to will myself into a relationship with God. Right? Tinkerbell's not coming back to life just because I'm thinking happy thoughts. So Paul, taking a page out of Jesus' book, goes, this message doesn't make any sense to those who don't belong to the Lord right now. It sounds backwards because it is. Because it is. We don't rest in our own strength. We don't rest in our own ability. We're far too comfortable with our own weakness. We let each other down. I mean, that's one, of the, like, that's one of the worst parts of being in church life is like we let each other down a lot. And we have to forgive. I want to hold a grudge, quite honestly. You let me down, I want to be mad at you. I want you to feel it. I want you to feel that you let me down. I want you to, be, I want you to sit in it. But no, what are we? We forgive because we've been forgiven. We're gracious because God's gracious with us. We're loving because Christ loved us first. We walk with him because he called us into it. All the things that we do, we do because they are granted to us by God. And it is backwards, upside down, crisscross from the way that the world operates. We serve differently. We love differently. We give differently. Why? Because we have been called into something that God has been doing from the beginning. It's work of redemption. So Jesus had no problem with that. Paul had no problem with that. And he even says later in chapter 2 this of 1 Corinthians. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, this means, right, that we, we have to give attention to God's word and God's work because That's how we understand God's ways. But we need one another. 
We need spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers who can help us understand God's ways. We need examples in the faith that we can follow after. We need people who can help us understand and teach and instruct and care and love us enough to show us what's most important. But you will see in the New Testament a total comfort with people recognizing that if God's moving, you can't stop it. And if people think it's a joke or they're not following, you can't start it. Which, which makes it uncomfortable again for the Christian because you go, what do I do? Well, here's what you do. You give attention to the things that give life. You speak about your Savior because people don't come unless they hear and they don't hear unless somebody's sent. Right? So, so, so we speak about our Savior. We don't just sit like robots going, man, I really hope God starts drawing people, otherwise I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. That is, though, uncomfortably how some of us view evangelism. Where we go, I'm just going to, I just got to wait. I just got to wait around until somebody turns to me and goes, tell me why you are a Christian. I don't know many scripts where that happens. You got to talk about it. But this is what's hard, and I'm sorry because, because it could even be me, but often our churches fail their members because we make it like this thing you got to be ready for. Like, hey, you better, you better be equipped with the diagram, and you better be equipped to be able to, to get into that conversation. I'm like, you do not have to tell me to talk to you about food, family, baseball, Sometimes books, you know, it's something, you, just don't have, you don't have to force me to have those conversations about the things I love. Why do Christians have to somehow like muster up the courage to talk about their Savior? It's because we have this crazy way of viewing it, like I have my Jesus life over here, and there's a set of rules, and I have my normal life over here, and never shall the two meet. What a terrible way to live life. I was having lunch with my friend this week, and he was speaking about the way in which uh, he would talk. He was living overseas in the Middle East, and, and he, was, he, would, he just goes, I have no problem telling people that I was working where I was working, in part because I followed Jesus, and Jesus got me here. Now, he wasn't a missionary who was like, i got to hide myself. He's like, nope, I'm employed. I have a real job. I'm not, I don't have one of those fake missionary jobs. I have a real job, and I'm here to actually, because I care about you. And, and, I'm, and, I, and Jesus has me here. And he's like, the amount of conversations I could just have because I'm talking about Jesus. And yet that's just so difficult for us. It's difficult for us to have those kinds of conversations. And so we read like 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 2, John 6. And we feel like we have to be totally trained to be able to, I'm like, I took no class on how to talk about my kids. I take one. I took no class on it. I took no class on, uh, I should have taken a class on how to coach youth baseball. But like, I love talking about it. I, I walk in, I'm telling, talking to Nolan about like what happened, you know, how, how's this, this is what we're working on. Like, because you talk about the people and things you love. And I, and I, and I, and I mean this for myself and for us. We are so bad at evangelism because we have created this world in which we have to be super spiritual sometimes and talk about it. 
And we can't just say, well, I was reading the scriptures just yesterday. You know, the person across from you doesn't have to be a Christian for you to say, I was reading this in the Bible. Why do they have to do that? They didn't have to watch the Astros game yesterday for you to be able to say, I was watching in the Astros game. Like, it's you. Be you. Be you. And so we have this way of life where, oh, golly, there's this thing going on in me where when I teach outside of here, I'm, I'm, I'm basically uh, without reservation. But when I teach in here, I'm a little, a little bit of reservation because i got to see you more. But these worlds are meeting. And uh, so I'll just write my resignation now. And John, when you need it, just ask me, okay? And I will, I'll turn it in, okay? And then I'm going to need a job. So, Jimmy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can sell a cabinet, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whew. Is it hot in here? Anybody sweating? We talk about what and who we love. And it is. God uses even that to draw people. He uses even that to draw people. I'm going to get a little spooky here. I've shared this before. I don't, I'm not really going to be spooky. I have another friend. I've shared his, uh, some of his stories where he has said, He'd ministered for over 30 years in the Middle East. He goes, not one conversion have we seen. Now, this was a few years ago. Maybe it's changed. I don't think it has. We have not seen one conversion that didn't first begin with somebody dreaming. And that began some kind of interest. But hear me here. The dreaming didn't save them. The dreaming led them to a person. The person shared Christ with them. Okay? We, we don't even understand all that God is doing. I think sometimes we are unwilling to consider all that God might be doing. Why? Because it requires from us risk. To go to our neighbor who has our number and our address and say, why do you think you might be experiencing such heartache? What, what do you think is, it, 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 that's for? And, and could I tell you how I've, how I've been comforted in hard times? Through Jesus. You don't have to be worried about every question that might get asked. But still, but still, we are. We can't recognize that if the way of the cross is foolishness to the natural person, then we can't use natural remedies to change it. Your best weapon against the dullness of spirit, both your own and the lack of receptivity to the gospel and somebody who doesn't believe, is your prayer life. 
Because the war isn't waged here. Jesus is teaching us that in John 6. There is a whole different game being played than we want to enter into. And so, appropriately, most people in the crowd who hear Jesus leave. Because they say, we signed up for lunch, not for life. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples, if you want to put that in air quotes, you can put that in air quotes, everyone do it. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Now, that, that's funny to me because he doesn't need, he knows their answer. I mean, you see all throughout John, he's perceiving what's going on. He understands their grumbling. He knows what's going on in their heart. And yet, what does he do? He goes to the 12 and says, are you going to leave too? Why? I do not think it's so that he feels better about himself because he has no ego. I think it's because he needs them to say it. He wants them to say it. And there are these moments where we articulate what we understand about the faith. And so they're responding. Peter, who's never without having an answer. Peter's the guy in the small group where you have to go, could somebody else who's not Peter give an answer? My secret to that is just to say, somebody who hasn't shared yet. If you hear me say that and you've already shared, it's my way of telling you to be quiet. Somebody who hasn't shared yet. But Peter's like, I got an answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, which is a great answer. Now, remember... Sometime from now, Peter's going to be like, Jesus who? Jesus who? I'm so, I, I don't know the man, never met the man. I, I've never heard that name. But here he is in this moment saying what, what he understands, even though he doesn't understand it. He's been with this man, he's been with Jesus for a while now, and he's heard him teach And he's seen his signs. And he's speaking as he understands. And what he understands is right. But his understanding isn't complete. We recognize that there are things the disciples figure out later. But there's also something you see in Peter's answer and Jesus' response, which is rather humbling. Because there there could be in this, where else are we going to go? We're not like the rest of these folks who are leaving you. We know better. We know better. And Jesus just goes ahead and says in verse 70, did I not choose you? You didn't choose me. I chose, did I choose you? Which is, it's almost like he's putting Peter back in his place. Like, I'm so glad you're here, Pete. But please know you're only here because I called you. Because my father revealed it to me. 
You're only here because the Father has you here. Not because you just picked, which is a little, again, uncomfortable. Because Peter gives this great answer. We have nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. And, and, and Jesus in this moment doesn't go, great answer, Pete, front of the line. Instead, he says, no, I chose you. And, and one of you is the devil, is a devil. Or the devil, depending on how you want to say it. One of you is a devil. Just think about it. This is, this is why I get, I'm okay in my right mind with what God is doing because Jesus, as part of working out salvation, which was planned before the foundations of the earth, picked a man to keep the books who was one of the twelve who betrayed him. And the reason this is comforting is because I'm sure, I'm sure the disciples weren't aware of what was going on. John gives us that commentary in verse 71, which is kind of ex post facto, right? It's kind of coming after. He said this, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. You know, Judas's dad is like, please don't draw me into this. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. But we also know at the Last Supper, they're like, who is it? And they still don't know who it is. And so what do you see here? What do you see here? But God active in the calling and in the drawing and in the assembling of what he's doing. It is true. What Peter says is absolutely true. There's nowhere else to go. In Jesus is eternal life. We've seen, come to believe, there's nowhere else. We know you. But it is his work. It is his work that brought them there. He chose the disciples. Now, now again, in, my, in the ditch you can fall off into where you say, I don't need to do anything. I just, I just exist and God will do his stuff and whatever, no bigs. Or I got to do everything. In these two ditches come discipleship, come formation and understanding. How does somebody walk with the Lord? What does it mean to talk about him? How can I reflect him in my life and in my finance, my marriage, my family? All those things that we want to be able to do to honor God. Working from our salvation, not for it. All those things. We're still left with these two roads. These two ways. You either, I'm going to say this, you either reject what Jesus is saying. He's not the Savior. He's not Lord. He doesn't have eternal life. And if you have made that decision, as of right now, you get a get-out-of-church-free card forever. Right? Just, you just say, hey, I'm, I'm out, man. I don't believe these things. I don't believe these things because if you really don't believe these things, 
You're just, you're just joking around being here. Really. When, when we're told that those who believe in the resurrection, if there's no re- resurrection, should be pitied among all men, if this, if this isn't what you believe, you don't have to come back. This is voluntary. You don't have to come back. We'll still pray for you. We'll still pray God draws you. This is one of the things I'm most, if I, if I could say I'm excited about something. I feel as if the past few years, and it's been happening for a while because I can't even follow the trend line, right? My longitudinal study doesn't go long enough. But it seems as if there is a purging of people who went to church and were involved in church because it felt like the right thing to do. I needed a dose of morality. I needed a dose of people to help me with life. It kind of got me through it. I need some relationships. People have found their relationships in other places, and they found their morality in other places. And so you look at church life, you go, the whole other side of that, the whole God thing, I don't need that. I just need kind of like the, I need to just be able to drink from the nice morality that it teaches because it's a a good worldview. Okay? But those people are fewer and fewer. Fewer and fewer. And I'm okay with that. Why am I okay with that? Not because I wouldn't mind more people or a bigger budget or whatever else. I'm okay with it because God's doing something. I'm okay with it because God's doing something. Now, are there examples where people leave the church because of idiot pastors? Yeah. Yeah. And we're all going to get ours too. But I'm okay just going, God's working. And I can't force his hand because he gives it to no one. It is his. But... But if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, maybe even you're not a Christian, but you just go, man, I can't, I can't walk away yet. That's just how you're feeling. Praise God. Praise God. Because the one who reads and hears and is going, there's just something to it, and I'm not sure what it is yet, that is a work of God. It is not a work of Hans. It is not a work of Matt. It is not a work of any community group leader or any sound tech. It is not a work that we can bring about interest in God. What Jesus was doing was weeding out the people who were interested in food. But to those who were interested in him, they stayed. They stayed. Which is one of the reasons that at Genesis you will not find many fancy ministries. I say one of. One of the reasons is because look around. Like there aren't many of us. But we have nothing of worth to attract you to something except Jesus. We have nothing of value to keep you here except Jesus. We have nothing of merit to send you home with.
except Jesus. And so our prayer and hope and expectation is for those whom God is drawing and for those whom God has drawn, that we keep drinking from the well and delight forever in our Savior who calls us, who draws us, who cares for us, who speaks to us, who gives us his spirit and continues to sustain what he's called us into. Because remember, salvation from the drawing to the believing to the working it out to the resurrection to life forever, it is all sustained by him.